Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for coming to church today. I love it. I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, but there's something in you that says, hey, I want to continue to follow God. So maybe you're a veteran. Maybe you're here and you're not sure what you believe. I am glad that you are here. We're starting a new series and we're calling it All In. And we're really going to try to explore um, this whole concept that Jesus uses over and over. If you looked at the four books that chronicle the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus is going to use a phrase to a vast array of different people. People who are wealthy, people who are poor, people who are deeply religious, people who are not religious. And here's what he's gonna say over and over. He's gonna say this, follow me, follow me. Now, I am not sure, but sometimes we don't use that phrase as often as we probably should. Instead, over 2,000 years of church history, I think things become more and more complex. And sometimes it's just essential to strip it back to what was Jesus actually saying? Here's, here's two thoughts on what we emphasize typically more than this idea of follow. We emphasize belief and behavior. Belief and behavior. And so sometimes we paint a picture of if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, We say, here's the things that you need to believe and you have to quit believing these things. So adopt this set of beliefs. These are core essentials. Uh, Quit believing these other things. And if you can align your beliefs, then your relationship with God begins or behavior. Put a big emphasis on, listen, these are the things that are acceptable. These are the things that are not acceptable. And once you can like change yourself and self-improve and get healthy and get better, then you're eligible for a relationship with Jesus. Belief and behavior are both important, but, but if I read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and understand the message of Jesus correctly, belief and behavior are secondary. They're secondary. They're auxiliary. The most important thing is this idea of following Jesus, following him. We're going to read a passage of scripture from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. It's a passage of scripture if if uh, maybe right now you're, you're unresolved in what you believe, you're going to like this scripture because it's shocking who Jesus invites to follow him. If you're religious, okay, and I'm putting myself in that. I've been, you know, in the church for a long time. If you're religious, this is the type of passage of scripture that is disturbing. It's disturbing. And it was disturbing to the religious people at the time as well. We're going to read about them. They were called the Pharisees. It's disturbing because Jesus is going to invite someone to follow him that we think, no way, that guy's behavior and his beliefs need to change before he could ever follow. So let me give you just a little bit of cultural background because I think it'll help us understand this text. So Rome is in charge of the known world in the first century. They have occupied everything from England to North Africa, from India all the way to Portugal. So they, they, they operate it all. And the Roman machinery is it's astounding. The, the level of armies and uh, technology, road building. But for Rome, there was an essential thing that needed to happen. It was taxation. So every nation that they conquered, they called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. They'd march in, they'd take over. And then one of the things they do is they say, now, as part of the Roman Empire, you must pay taxes to Caesar. Now, how in the world are you going to collect taxes and bring them hundreds, maybe thousands of miles all the way to Rome? It was very complex. So this is what they did. 
wealthy Roman business people would say, uh, if you got a new province, so let's say the, the province where this story is going to take us, Palestine, that's what the Romans called it. They said, okay, we've conquered Palestine, and now we want to bid in order to collect taxes for you. So they put it out, the Roman government would put it out to the highest bidder, and some Roman would say, you know, I'll pay X amount of money in order to be your arm of collection in Palestine. So then after winning this contract, they would go and they'd find locals. They'd find locals who would then collect the taxes for them, and... Here's what happened. This, this is why it was, it was a really, really unhealthy system. Everybody took their cut. Rome expected, let's say, $100 per person per year. Well, the person that won the contract would take their cut of it. The local tax collector would take their cut of it. So maybe it's $200 that's being collected. $100 ends up going to the emperor. And the people were furious with the system. It was extortion. It was manipulation. And the local tax collector, if you didn't pay, all he had to do was call Roman soldiers to enforce the collection. Now, can you imagine how people felt about the individuals who collected taxes that ultimately ended up in Rome? It was locals. It was people like, we're going to read, his name is Matthew. Excuse me. Fighting a little cold. If, if, if anybody in the room has problems with the IRS today, imagine this a thousand times more. Because here's what Matthew would do. This is how they collected taxes. They, they would place a booth on almost every road and in the entrance of every city and in front of every marketplace. And so in order for you to enter a city, to travel down a road, to go into a marketplace to either sell or to buy, you had to pay taxes. And one of these tax collectors is named Matthew. And he sits there and he says, it's going to be so much money for you to enter the city. It's going to be X amount of money for you to use this road. It's going to be so much money if you want to go into the marketplace. And he would take an exorbitant amount of money and he would pass on the necessary amount to his supervisor, and that person would then pass it on to Rome. And so the people are under this incredible oppressive tax system. They're being used and abused, mistreated. And so the local tax collectors, they despise them. In fact, first century Judaism, we have these uh, documents that say they, they classified two people as being beyond the ability of God to ever love. Tax collectors and sinners. So if you were a tax collector, this is no joke. You were not allowed to attend the local synagogue, which would be like our church. If you tried to come in, security would kick you out. You're not welcome here. Sinners were people who regularly sinned and didn't seem to ever do anything about it. They were also excluded from local church. You were excluded from ever being able to go to the temple to offer sacrifices, which culturally was absolutely essential. The only way you could deal with your accumulation of sins is you would go to the temple, you'd make sacrifices, you feel a sense of I'm forgiven, I'm right with God. So tax collectors and sinners weren't allowed into the local synagogues. They were not allowed into the temple. And they were also not allowed to testify in court. They were considered legally to be so reprobate 
Such a deficiency of character. They just could never even testify in court. So that's Matthew, okay? Just a little background, and we're going to read about one of these guys in that specific situation. Matthew chapter 9, if you read with me. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, two groups of people that are ostracized from society, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the Pharisees are the religious elite of the day. They're the, they're the clergy of the day. They're, they've been memorized the first five books of the Bible. They, they keep everybody on a straight and narrow. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We do not understand what is happening here. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. This is a quotation from one of the Old Testament prophets. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But sinners. What is Jesus doing here? What is it communicating to us today? I just want to walk through the passage. I just have four very simple statements. Nothing profound about this, but it's beautiful what Jesus is doing. The first of this. Jesus sees people long before they see him. Jesus sees people. He sees human beings long before they see him. So imagine Jesus is along, walking along this road, and there's Matthew at his tax collector's booth. And here's what everyone sees when they see Matthew. They see a guy who is sold out to the Roman government. They see a guy who has betrayed his people. They see a guy that they would never allow into their local synagogue. They see a guy who has no right whatsoever to ever go to the temple because he's beyond forgiveness. But what does Jesus see? Jesus sees what Matthew is doing, which is collecting taxes. But he sees beyond what Matthew's involved in. He sees the man. Matthew doesn't recognize Jesus. Matthew's in the midst of his life. Jesus sees something different. Here's the reality. I don't know why this is, but it's my reality and likely it's yours. I tend to have a sphere regarding God's love. Like, well, God's love is big. Maybe for some of us it's smaller, some of it's big. And we say, boy, everybody in here, God loves and yet, like it or not, there's certain people I think, oh, boy, that'd be hard for, yeah, I can't imagine, right? So the Pharisees had this very small sphere. And the sphere of who God could love is this, people who believed the right things and behaved the right ways. Believed and behaved. And if, if you fit in there, if you believe the right things, if you behave the right ways, then they thought, oh yeah, the, these are the people that God loves. Jesus has the sphere of who God loves. It was absolutely shocking. It was incredibly disturbing. And it didn't have to do with 
people who believe the right things and behave the right way, it had to do that they were human beings. And he looks at Matthew. He says, Matthew, I see you. And I'm choosing not to define your value by what you're doing. I see that you're unique and you're special and there's something in there that my father desperately, desperately loves. I think God is always challenging those of us who have been in the church for a while. If we're not careful, we start to narrow down who God loves. And we start to say, well, people who believe, people who behave, and these are the people. One of the things that you'll read about Jesus is his love had no bounds. I mean, there's story after story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus caring for, embracing, loving, engaging with people that others thought were so far gone. Matthew, I mean, do you think he felt any sense of disqualification? Like, what, me? You know what I do for a living? You know I don't believe the right things and I don't behave the right way. There's something about Jesus, though, who looks at him and he says, but I see you. Here's the second part. Jesus' invitation. What does Jesus say? Follow me. Follow me. Again, it, it would be so natural. Like, the story would read naturally for me if Jesus looked at Matthew. He said, boy, God can love you. He said, Matthew, here's a few things. Um, you're going to need to quit your job, right? You're going to need to quit oppressing human beings. You're going to need to quit stealing. You're going to have to start believing the right things. And once you get all that, your behavior and your belief all intact, I'd love for you to follow me. Doesn't that make sense? Like, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's how it should work. But what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, follow me. Follow me. So th this is the invitation. In the first century world, education, especially for religious people, went like this. Uh, boys were educated up until about 13 years of age. Girls typically weren't educated very well. Um, until you, could, you, you had the ability to read and write the scriptures. That was, that was very important. You could read it, you could copy it down. After that, about 13 years of, years of age, everybody worked to engage in a trade. However, the few young men who were exceptional showed exceptional character, showed exceptional mental capacity, would be invited by a rabbi to follow. So a rabbi would have been observing all of the young boys in a village, watching them, and the two or three that were elite, he would have formally walked to their home, knocked on their door, and said to this young man, follow me. There was no such thing as a PhD program or a master's or a bachelor program. This was how you learned is the rabbi said, follow me. And it was up to you. You had to respond. You had to leave your home where you were living as a 13 year old boy to follow the rabbi. And then your job was this. You followed the rabbi wherever he went. You absorbed his knowledge. He had a way of teaching. It was called rabbinical teaching where he would ask questions and cause you to experience self-discovery. And wherever the rabbi went, you pursued. He was your teacher. So Jesus is making this invitation of follow me. 
typically only went for the most elite to a tax collector. And he's, he's not a 13 year old boy. He's a grown man involved in a vocation that was considered theft. Matthew, follow me. Jesus doesn't look at human beings and say, hey, 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 Katie, listen, I need you to believe some different things. I, John, I need you to behave a different way. He looks at humans and he says, follow me. Follow me. Here's the third thing. Matthew's response. Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Now, think of the complications. He, he's collecting taxes. He probably has a pot of money. This money is eventually supposed to make its way to Rome. He leaves, he pushes his chair back. He's just been called, this imperfect guy who's so aware of all his imperfections. He's just been called by Jesus to follow and he leaves behind everything that has ever brought him security. It's brought him wealth. It's brought him comfort. He looks at that table and he just follows Jesus. Wouldn't you have a lot of questions? If Jesus said, follow me, I'd say, where, for how long, what are we doing? What do you expect of me? He just pushes back from the table and he looks at this life and he says, I'm following you. It's faith, right? Faith is such a struggle for us. Well, what is faith? Faith is following when you don't know everything about the future. Faith is saying, I know that and I'm unsure of this, but you've called me and I'm going. Here's some things that I absolutely love about this idea of following Jesus. Being sick or being a sinner does not disqualify us from following Jesus. I think it's actually a prerequisite. So Jesus is at this table, right? So Matthew brings over his friends. Who are the only people that associate with Matthew? Other people that aren't allowed in the synagogue, aren't allowed into the temple. They're, they're sinners and tax collectors. I mean, this is, this is like the worst of the worst, having a dinner party, and who's there? Jesus. I'll bet it's a little bit crazy, right? Because Matthew doesn't have the right behavior and he doesn't have the right beliefs. All he knows is I'm following Jesus. This guy, he saw me. He doesn't think I'm disqualified. He sees I, I can still be loved by God. He's not overly concerned with my beliefs and behaviors. So he invites all his friends over. They're having a party. And the Pharisees start saying, what in the world? Why is Jesus doing this? These are the people that they need to get cleaned up before we could ever associate with them. And Jesus hears this, and what does he say? It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And he says it out loud at the dinner table. What do you think everybody there was like, that's us. He's talking about us. We're the sick. Bound it. We're the unrighteous. Look at the Pharisees. They're not eating. This group of religious elite, highly trained, the Pharisees, they could never follow Jesus 
And I think this is why. It's because they felt really healthy. They, they felt like their beliefs were just all worked out. They had God figured out. They had theology figured out. They, they could predict God. Their behaviors were all aligned with the Old Testament. Like, we, we live our lives right. We do all these things right. And there was no room. There was no humility for them to say, we're sick. We're broken. We're sinners. They, they called other people sinners. But they couldn't identify that with their own lives. I wonder, I wonder if understanding my sickness, understanding my failings, understanding that I am a sinner is actually the prerequisite to following Jesus. If I'm a religious person who's just got it all figured out, my behaviors and my beliefs are all in line, I may not ever need to follow him. Because I've created my own religious system. So being sick, being a sinner, doesn't disqualify you from following him. Secondly, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify us from following Jesus. An unbeliever. How much do you think Matthew believed when he began to follow Jesus? He, he probably didn't know very much, did he? He didn't have all the right beliefs. His theology was probably all cattywampus. That's what it led him to do what he's doing for a living. In fact, I love, I love that if you followed the life of Jesus and these, these 12 apostles, right? The 12 original disciples. They don't appear to actually believe until after Jesus resurrects from the dead. Jesus keeps saying to them, do you still not believe? They get into a storm there in a boat. We're going to die. Jesus is like, stop wind, stop waves. They're like, whoa, how'd you do that? They, Jesus will feed massive crowds multiple times with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. And they've seen it more than once. They're like, whoa, who is this guy? He goes to the cross. He dies. They're like, it's over. It is over. What we expected, what we wanted, it's not true. He wasn't who we thought he was. And then Jesus shows up, resurrected. And it's at that moment that they believe. See, the first apostles followed Jesus for three years before they actually began to believe. Here's my point. We emphasize so much believing the right things, behaving the right way, when Jesus says, just follow. And if you follow, if I can be someone who is following Jesus, you know what? Matthew's behavior and Matthew's beliefs all worked themselves out as he followed Jesus. So I have a friend. I've been meeting with him for the better part, three or four years now. Actually, I met him. He was walking into the atrium late one afternoon. He was going through an incredible crisis. He had lost a son. His marriage was falling apart. And he had just gone to different churches just trying to figure out. He really nothing spiritually in his background. And he said, here's my life. Here's my story. What should I do? And so we talked. And we meet as frequently as he wants to. Sometimes it'll be once a week. Sometimes it'll be once a month. Sometimes it'll be once every four months. And uh, he actually, I'm so grateful. At one point, I said, hey, you want to read the Bible with me? He's like, sure. And so we read the book of John together. And I said, so what'd you think of John? He's like, 
I liked it, but I don't like the magic. I'm like, what do you mean, the magic? He goes, I really like Jesus, what he says, how he treats people, but why do they have to put all that magic in there? And I'm like, are you talking about miracles? He's like, yeah, magic. He goes, it's like an old Harry Potter story. <laughs> right? I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So we talk through his perspective. Here's where we're at, three and a half years into our relationship. He'll say, what do you think I should do? And I'll look at him and I'll go, you know, I am the most biased person in the world. I think you should follow Jesus. He's like, yeah, 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 I know. Here's his two hangups. I don't believe everything in the Bible. I don't want to do everything the Bible tells me to do. Like, I'm having too much fun out here. Okay. So he feels like his beliefs and his behaviors would ever have to line up before he could follow Jesus. Because he has a perspective that God's love is about this big. And he feels like he's just on the other side of it. And I keep looking at him month after month. And I keep saying, just follow him. If you begin to follow him, you'd understand that you're loved. He would teach you. He would correct you. He'd line up your behavior. But it would all happen because something has changed on your inside. It's because you are being called into a relationship with God. That's what it means to follow. It doesn't mean that you automatically have to adopt all of the correct assumptions about who God is. Jesus is saying, follow me. And the more you get to know me, the more all of your thoughts that are incorrect, all of your behaviors that are self-destructive, we'll address those. Those will be dealt with in the act of following Jesus. Point number four, a party breaks out. You gotta love this party. Matthew, all his friends, and I mean, you can see it, that the Pharisees are outside and they're like pulling out their hair like, what is he doing? In Hebrew culture, to eat a meal with someone was a sign of approval. And so Hebrew people, like Pharisees, you would never eat a meal with somebody who was not Jewish. A Gentile, somebody, you never step foot in their house. You'd never eat with them. Somebody that was considered a sinner, somebody who was considered a tax collector, you would not eat with them because that was a sign of approval and they were afraid of contamination. If we sit down with those people, we'll become like them. So they're on the outside looking in. I think they're laughing. The disciples are a little bit awkward. Jesus is having a great time. The disciples are like, ooh, weird. You know, these are not the people we hang out with. So they send a messenger into the disciples like, why is your rabbi, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? We cannot comprehend this. This is not okay. He's showing acceptance and love and approval to a bunch of people who have the wrong behaviors and they have the wrong beliefs. What does Jesus say? I came for sick people. I came for sinners. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were not like him. And people who were not like Jesus were extraordinarily comfortable with Jesus. You can see this over and over in the New Testament. People who are very different than Jesus felt comfortable in his presence. Now, this bothers me because this is not like our world most of the time. 
I don't know why, but somehow through our church cultures we've created in North America, do you know what it's like for me if I go to, somebody invites me to a, like a neighborhood Christmas party? You know, those awkward where nobody really knows each other. And what do guys do? The first thing guys do is they say, so what do you do for a living? Do you know what it's like if you go, I'm a pastor? Like everybody's like. <laughs> they just don't want to be around you because they feel uncomfortable. And Jenny and I will be like, we like you guys. And they're like, yeah. You're probably like going to give us a, you know, blood alcohol. What, what's going on here? Why is that? But why did people who were really different with Jesus, they felt comfortable with him? I just want to say something to anybody who's in the room or you're going to watch this later. There are numbers of people who you said, I'm interested in Jesus, but I don't feel comfortable around his church. I feel, maybe you feel shamed, you feel judged. Listen, I don't know why we do that sometimes, but I, from the depths of my heart, I apologize. I want to look at you and I want to tell you this. You would really like Jesus. And he would really like you. I know that. And you'd feel comfortable. You wouldn't feel ashamed in his presence. And we are going to work on our response. Because we want people who are really different to feel comfortable in the presence of Jesus and his followers. We really want that. Religious people, like the Pharisees, are disturbed by who, who Jesus invites to follow him. The invitation to follow is broader than most religious people are comfortable with. Lastly, I love this idea of Jesus inviting to follow. Because you see what the Pharisees are doing? The Pharisees are, they're so concerned about belief and behavior, Right? They're on the outside of the party pacing and they're saying, they just don't believe the right things. They don't do the right things. How can Jesus associate with them? That is not appropriate. They're concerned about other people's lives. Here's what I love. If it's truly about following, if I'm following Jesus, I have less time to look at your life and be concerned with what's inappropriate. <laughs> No, my job is to follow. I'm following him. Now, some people in the room, you guys are exceptional. You are following Jesus at warp speed. You're reading your Bible, your spiritual disciplines, you're praying. I mean, you are intentional, intentional, intentional. And some of us are limping along, right? You're hoping to make it 100 yards this year. Just follow. Follow. Push back from the table, the table where you've been making a living, the table where maybe what you've been doing is totally inappropriate. And Jesus says, follow me. And you say, where, how, what about all my baggage? And he says, just follow. And in the process of pursuing Jesus, life begins to heal. Your behaviors and your beliefs line up. 
over time. One of my favorite scriptures. It's the book of Romans. Romans 2.4. This is how it goes. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Romans 2.4. How many people do you think glared at Matthew? How many good religious people looked at him and why are you doing this? Why are you oppressing us? Why are you participating in this, this scheme? What is going on? The, the, the looks of anger, the looks of frustration. And then there's Jesus who just shows him kindness. See, religion, if we're not careful, says, no, 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 it's conviction and it's shame that leads people to repentance. Right? If you can just make people feel bad enough, if you can make them afraid enough of hell, they'll finally repent. Right? Romans 2 4. No, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's Jesus saying, Matthew, follow me. Obviously, this guy, Matthew, after we began following Jesus, Something changed in his life because he left us behind a book. It's the book we're reading today. This is a a biography that we just read. A biography of a tax collector who everybody thought was beyond the realm of God's love. And Jesus sees him and calls him. And he follows. And his life has changed. Will you pray with me? Lord, first I want to pray for those of us in the room who would probably be considered religious. We've been around for a while. God, if there is anything in my life that has narrowed the sphere of your love, would you change my heart? Lord, would we see people the way Jesus sees people? Would we not combine their actions and their value? Would their value be separate from what they're doing? Lord, for those of us who have been around for a while, I don't know why, but we're drawn towards emphasizing beliefs and behaviors above following. And that tends to make people feel very oppressed. It makes people feel inadequate. Jesus, would we be reminded that you called us? You called us long before we believed the right things, long before we behaved the right way. You said, come as you are and follow me. It was a process that led to a changed life. Lord, teach us how to be comfortable with people that are very different. Teach us how to love like you love. And teach us to follow. Instead of becoming distracted with the important but auxiliary elements of behavior and belief, instead of emphasizing that, we choose to follow year after year, day after day, decade after decade. 
Now, Lord, for another group of us in the room, we can identify with Matthew. We, we understand our, beha- our beha- beliefs and our behavior, they are not lined up with you. We know what happened last night. We know what happened last week. We know that we're filled with doubts. We know that we're, we're wondering why we're even here today. There is deep unresolve in our lives spiritually. Lord, I pray that you would call us by name and say, follow me. And Lord, we'd push back from the table and we'd leave the things that gave us security and we'd follow you. We don't even know where we're going. We don't know what you're expecting of us. We're taking all of our baggage and all of our lack of belief and our ill behavior and we're gonna say we are following you into relationship. If you're here this morning, I I just ask you to be so bold. If you're saying today's the day, I'm, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I don't even know where it's where I'm supposed to go. But I'm gonna follow him. If that's you, if you just hear him calling your name like he called Matthew, would you do this? Would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand and wave at me. I want to catch your eye. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You're his daughter, both of you. Yes, sir, right there. You're his. You're forgiven and made new. Anybody else right here? Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. You're a new start. It's a new start for you, sir, and right there as well. A brand new start, a new day for you. Yeah, I see your hand right in the balcony there. That's beautiful. Yeah, both of you, right up top, right there. Okay. Over here, yeah, I see you. And right there in the very top, I love it. You're his, you're forgiven, you're made new. Everybody who raised their hands today, okay, right here. Sorry I missed you. Right here, yes, all three of you. (laughs) That's a big moment for you guys right there. Right here as well. This is, okay, back here. Yeah. For everybody who raised their hands today, I want you to know He loves you just as you are. You're His. Follow Him from this day forward. Everybody, would you applaud? There are a whole bunch of people who raised their hands. Thank you. Absolutely beautiful. If you did raise your hand, I want to get a Bible in your hand. I want you to get in a Rudy group at the Welcome Center right back here. There's free Bibles. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you want a Bible, go get one. Begin to follow him. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, there are people that you can trust up front. They'd love to pray for you. Be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. God bless you and you are loved.